And welcome back to the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And today, uh, we've got a, a good episode for you. We're going to talk about... We're going to answer uh, a listener question. We're going to talk about, you know, what's been up with us lately. Actually, plenty has been going on audio-wise with uh, both of us. Um, and then we're going to get into the topic of digital versus uh, analog just a little bit. Um we aim to kind of revisit this this over broad over topic um, several times, you know, in the future, and so this is just going to be like a small angle of it. Um, but yeah, it's always a relevant thing to to be discussing in the audiophile world, um, especially today with streaming services and and kind of mm-hmm. digital media being um, much more prevalent in everybody's life as a as a audiophile so before we get into that what's been up with you man what do you what do you got what's going on yeah so we uh we've uh, finally finished our uh tube amps finally finally um, it was like one of those things where there's so much soldering and clipping and soldering and and work that when it was done i'm just like wait a minute are, am I we're done? done? Are, we, are we done? Are, are we done? Are we done? <laughs> you just got your um, head down. You're not looking at the finish line. Yeah. So I felt bad because uh, we first tried to fire up Duncan's, and it we, we were having issues. We were red plating, and and so the output tubes started to uh, draw so much current through um, through them that they they actually started to uh, what's called red plate, where you can actually see the the uh the actual plates start to turn red not and all if, of them it was just you, v14 so it was like one tube on yeah. that phase of that channel right and so but and so but when per, we you know consistently because we swapped tubes around and it kept red plating yeah on so one. it started red plating on that one on that one phase because we actually had the other the other tube on that phase red plate before too so it was a. It, it was, was that the, whole phase was kind of odd. Oh yeah, that Remember? one time the. And the so, um, so right. you know, red plating is is dangerous because if you red plate too long, you damage the vacuum tube. You can't you can't just red plate a vacuum tube for too long. Yeah, so, they've got to be able to dissipate that heat. That's right. So it's it's what it's doing is it's pulling an insane amount of current, and with that, it's dissipating an insane amount of uh, power. And so that power is going to eventually ruin the tube. And so what we were doing was I was just looking on the uh, the current meter at the current running through the tube, and um, and I was just cutting the power right when I saw the bias go way above where we needed to be. And so I was just be controlling it. and we were seeing it climb up to two hundred or something. And it would it would have just skyrocketed yeah. from there. So. Yep. So I uh, I would cut it off, and so I didn't, you know, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't ruin that tube. So uh, so, anyways, uh, uh, you know, Duncan uh, wanted to hear the amplifier and stuff, and so but ran out of time, and so he had to leave. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know what's going on with this amp, but if I can get the other amp working, then we can compare at least voltages and we can have a working example and then right. try to debug what's wrong with, with his. And, uh, and so I, I fired mine up and it, and, and it biased up and, and basically it started working fine right away. Output and so, tubes biased and the input tube uh, DC 
settings were yep. were yeah so so um so that was that was a cool feeling and then it was the next thought was uh well what the heck is wrong with the other one and so we went back and started looking at duncan's and uh we just found a found a bad bad soldering joint in one one yeah one soldering joint my bad it, um, it uh it was like one of the first things that i soldered on that amp and it I happens. guess you just have it happens to, get, to everybody. Get into man. it. I've and had what, that happen. And what we were doing was times. replacing a, just a ton of resistors, but um, not not necessarily going through all the trouble of getting a sucker and sucking out all the um, the solder and putting these new resistors in the actual board holes. Um, I, I in a couple actually places I did do that, but but most of the time what I'm doing is clipping off the old resistor. Uh, like close to the resistor so i have like these little pegs these little legs of the old resistor and then soldering to those legs so this was one of those joints where um yeah the other side of this prp resistor was it looked like it was attached to this leg but when darren started going in there and touching them and moving them around which by the way is something you should do after you solder them and something that i was doing um i can't remember if i did that with those first couple resistors that I did where you solder it and then you let it cool and then you try to move it and you can feel when it's really solid. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it's not going to move. So, well, it just, it just happens. Classic, so, typical. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it happens all the time. So, so basically uh, we found, we found it though. That's what's important is that we found, found the issue. We, we uh, bring the amp back up. The output tubes are no longer red plating. The bias great. Things are, bias is awesome and solid. And, and, uh, and then we ran into a small issue on the input of the amp. And uh, it just turns out that um, the original capacitors that, that this guy had put in there on the input were also 200 volts. And, and really, I, I measured the, the B+. Plus on the amplifier when you first turn it on. And of course, because there's no current running down the input stage, the, the coupling caps see the B plus. Um, and, uh, over time, those caps start to become leaky. And so, uh, I found some leaky caps on the input of, of his input stage as well. So we replaced four caps in what the driver stage, maybe, um, where were those Mundorfs that we put in? Good, but but, and you replaced your that, input that's on caps. the input of the output stage. Oh, okay, yeah. and you replaced your input caps. Yeah, <clears throat> I did not because we looked at it. And we're like, well, this is a seventy-five volt region; it should be fine. But we weren't thinking about inrush and, and turning it when it's the amps yeah. on. Well, it's it's when the tube isn't heated yet. So when the heater yeah. isn't on at all, the tube is cold. It doesn't conduct. Yeah, and right. so there's no there's, there's no, no current flow. going down, right, and right. so there's nothing to drop. There's no current uh, to drop any voltage across its plate resistor, yeah. and so the plate just sees B plus. And so you know you gotta have you gotta make sure that your coupling caps are all rated to take the B plus of the associated yeah. tube. Yeah, um, and and so you know, turns out both of us are gonna have to redo our input caps or our coupling caps. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt, and and we just had those laying around. I don't actually have higher voltage caps um, here that I could put on the inputs there. So, um, so we're gonna have to find, we're gonna have to find, um, you know, f- pick something. I mean, a lot of my caps are are really meant for speaker 
design. So they're not, they're not 600 volts. A lot are, are, uh, are a little bit less. A lot of are 200 volts. 200. Um, so, yep. so anyways, we'll you know, out. it's, it's coming along and the amplifier, you know, it sounds, sounds pretty good. And, yeah. You and listened. You so know. you listened for like a whole night. You, and you text me the next day. You're like, I listened to so much music. Yeah. Um, and, and you're sending me texts about like, whoa, this is, you know, it's opening up. I can hear it opening up. It's really like wet and lush and like, yeah, I'm just at home just like, oh, oh yeah, I know I'm killing you. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of reminds me of um, these are Audio Research D115 Mark IIs. That's the that's the model of what we just kind of um, refurbished uh, is probably the right way to put it because we uh, replace most of the resistors and, and coupling capacitors. We undid and, all the questionable, um, questionable decisions as well. That, as many as we could identify. That, that is also true. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the person modifying these before we got them, we've, we've, we've dubbed uh, fly by night and, uh, I guess we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, so, um, fast and loose stuff going on, but so, you know, what's interesting about these amps is that it really reminds me more of older Macintosh and uh, an old CJ. When you said MC60, it just instantly like knew exactly yeah. what you're talking about. And I agree one, now yeah. that I've heard the Yeah, amp, this is yeah. not a VT series audio research or the or VS series or or even the newer stuff. Uh, like the ref series it's this is not like that it's more so like a uh a conrad johnson mv52 or an mc60 um MacDuff. not not as warm as uh as one of the um luxman's that i once had i can't remember the model number of that luxman um but uh uh anyways uh, pretty warm though and so, so it's, one it's of pretty our, it's pretty it's pretty warm yeah it's it's still breaking in though i mean we put in so many new components into this thing and um but you know we were talking about this last night our our goal now is to kind of like do some things to take these amps to where where we want them to be mm-hmm. um and so we're gonna move them you know they're never gonna be as you were talking about modern ar amp sounding Mm -hmm. um but but we'll get them in that direction so they're more balanced um they certainly sound wonderful the sound stage is huge yep um you know the the imaging is really great we just we want a little bit more air so what we're thinking we we discussed this last night was that we're thinking about going towards teflon and and possibly um silver mica for the bypasses just to kind of, yeah. you know, livey, liven stuff up on the top end. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're looking for. So you can use, that's the whole thing. You can use part selection to, to, to get your components where you want to go. And this is what I do when I design something for PS audio is that I'm going through that process. I'm doing an initial evaluation of, of how does that component sound um, when I first bring it up and after I burn it in, of course, um, how, what is the, what is the characteristics of that amplifier? And then I say, well, where do I want to improve and how do I want it to improve? And then I might use parts selection to, to get me there. If I'm pretty close, yeah. I can use, I can change the type of coupling cap. I can change, I can change power supply decoupling capacitors. I can change the amount of 
capacitance on the power supplies, which affects the regulator tran- uh, uh, transient response. So, so there's a lot of different stuff you can do to kind of voice and, and get this stuff. This is why this stuff is art, and that's why it's beautiful also. And uh, let's see, what else is up with you? I, you've got some new speaker cables that uh, I, I made you. Some yeah, more, some thank more you. Cables. It was for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah he Christmas he present. he made uh, he made me these ribbon cables and and what's uh, I actually had my previous cables were also made by Duncan as well. But what's different about these cables is that they're um, each phase is actually separate. Yeah. So he's completely made a separate jacket. And then you have Teflon, and then you have this, um, the, and then you have this 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 foil yeah. inside of it. Yep. And so they're completely separate now. And so uh, separating it technically would lower the capacitance. Um, I mean, almost you're getting no capacitance between the two phases. Yep. Um, and then you do deal with the slight inductance of the cable itself, but a. a, a ribbon cable like this where you know we're talking about the, the flat cables that you see um are going to have a, a slight less um uh, they're going to have a, like a, a bit lower amount of inductance um just because of the the, the profile of the actual um of, of of the actual uh 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 conductor itself yeah so yeah and um you know the mostly the dielectric in here is air it's just you know the the teflon's non-adhesive so everything's kind of floating around in there and um yeah it's a really great sounding cable um yeah we could tell right away so it's a larger gauge than your last set of cables um they've got fresh terminations um kind of need to re-terminate those those other cables of yours and it just showed up instantly uh on your system i think in terms of like some detail and yeah. They sound out of the box, or if I can say that, because they never came in a box. Yeah. But um, they, they right away they they sounded better to me in a different room. Yeah, you were in the other I room, was in like the other uh, room. Working soldering, on, and working on the amp, working on the amp. <laughs> so that's, but, that's uh, a fun. But anyways, that's what's going on with me, and 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 I've been enjoying lots of vinyl, of course. Uh, I you know I I love I love my vinyl collection and and. Um, and you know, I always love digging through through my vinyl, and we'll get into more of that in this this yeah. episode. But uh, what's what's going on with you? Anything? Yeah, anything well, new? I uh, I'm I'm mostly where I want to be with that album that I was talking about. And uh, oh, right, remember I brought that over. He did. Um, yep, yep. You so, did. Yeah, and we were talking about it last week, and and it's it's this process of of you know do, making a change. Um, what I like to get to is a point where I'm happy with the EQ or the sound characteristics of everything um, across several systems. And once I'm I'm happy with that, then I just focus on dynamic range mm-hmm. and um, how much do the intimate parts of this song need to be brought up so that the same so that when you're going from listening to another band and you come to this one or or when you're in the car with a little bit of a noise floor um you know you can still understand what's going on but but you're balancing like well this this is an intimate moment where his softness and quietness is uh conveying 
something like a tenderness in in his words as well so i can't i can't push that too much so i need this much room to kind of still convey that the difference in the way that these songs build i mentioned this band's music you look at all these waveforms that that they send me and it starts very small and it gets really big so they're they they have these crescendos during their their songs so um yeah i i did uh i'm on the third kind of iteration of of my my mastering of it and i thought it was good enough to bring over here uh okay so i have to uh, as a you know a witness and a, a witness of of this album on my system um a duncan you know it's it, one thing about creating something is that being the creator somehow all you focus on are the negatives and all the things that you think you need to improve. And that's what makes the creative process work is that you try to hone in on on those the weaknesses that you know you have or that you think you have and you want to just, you forget about the overall picture. Yeah. And sometimes you can lose track of, of where you are generally as far as how good something is or... or, or um, or what you have achieved, right. because it's it's like a you get into a mode of of some sort of reference in your mind where that's the new norm, and that new norm needs to be better than it was. Yeah, and that's the yeah. creative mind, and and when you're working and it's your project and it's and you've created this, that's where you are, and and that's what I saw in you because you honestly, I was I was not expected expecting to hear what i heard because of the things that you were talking about yeah you know because you're talking about oh i gotta work on this and i gotta work on that and i gotta yeah. work on this and i just don't know about this and that I'm like okay play the album and i'm just like holy crap <laughs> this thing is awesome <laughs> yeah i mean i like i said i i told you it's such a uh, music aside the music is awesome this guy R- riverside hey if you're listening or, or wow like amazing writing amazing song um yeah, and then you did an amazing job recording it that's jake and over. then um the 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 mastering is just uh is just excellent man um, I was um so happy and that, like i said i liked it. as far as recording goes the recording quality i would be happy and thrilled to play it at a show yeah, you said that, and yeah, and that I mean, means a lot. It, it's um, it. This is a serious recording, and and um, for those people who are interested in 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 uh, hearing this when it comes out, we're going to uh, we're going to link it so that uh, you can um, so that you can look this up and 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 or buy it on Amazon, and and uh, they're also um, possibly um, we haven't confirmed, uh, but should be also uh, uh, cutting a record Final, as well. Yeah. So um, so if that's the case, and for you analog heads out there want to purchase the vinyl, we'll make sure to link that too. But I can tell you, guys, it's, it's amazing music and uh, really well done, really well written. But I just, I was not expecting the level of, of the recording. Holy crap, man. Good work. Good work. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, I... I I uh, didn't know what I'd fully expect here because it sounded good on my system, but your system always has this kind of like extra dynamics and extra bigness kind of because you've got this great room and you've you've got a great front end and 
there's and so I just kind of was curious to see how how big it would play and how <clears throat> the textures would show up and whether the bass was the way that I wanted it. Interestingly, we played it on the tube amp first, which is very warm, as we were saying, mm-hmm. and and the bass was was kind of I was like, whoa, that's a lot more than I thought was on this yep. track and stuff, yep. you know, and wasn't wasn't staggeringly so it was just sort of more and I'm it just, wasn't yeah. woolly or loose too that's the thing about you know and we talked about this before uh amplifiers that have a lower damping um factor they uh if they're mated with a speaker that is generally a low q speaker yeah uh that that's a good mate yeah um but then if you take a speaker that's high q especially above, you know, a Q above 0.7 to 1, uh, and you, you, you put it with an amplifier with a damping of, of 10 or something, you know, it's going to, then you're probably going to get in that woolly, loose, you know, bloaty kind of thing. And the Dunlavies don't necessarily get to, get to the bloaty and woolly with, with this amp, which has a damping factor of 17, by the way, which is not, not very high. Um, and uh but but it's it's certainly i think the effect is is more bass and then there was this weird thing of some sort of um texture on the bass yeah the, te- the texture and then when we went back to the solid state amp it didn't it, it, everything was more controlled and things seemed way more accurate yeah it was back to what i yeah. had heard at my house and what i was expecting to hear yeah but it didn't have it, it in the 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 bass it just didn't have the same there was a touch in this, uh, that, that effect that you were telling me that's, uh, what is that? A electronic drum? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. He had a trigger. It was, it's a, a drum trigger, uh, that's activated with this foot beater. Yeah. So it's a little, uh, box and it's got the trigger there and the beater hits it. So it's really not a, a real drum. It's a right. sample that it sample. triggers. Yeah. There and was then, some sort of a touch element. Did you get that? You that, mentioned that I, that, that you, I heard it on the tube amp. Yeah, it, it's, was, it's an attack that you were talking about. Yeah, because you know, we have attack uh, decay and um, sustain and that I, kind of thing. And that that album from top to bottom, that those kind of elements in that recording are just uh, absolutely phenomenal. It's man. so cool. I can't wait to share so, it with with all of you. Um, yeah, when it when it comes out, I think uh, January February is what we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think singles will start coming out in January, so I'll just uh, I'll just let everybody know because they will be on streaming services. Um, so congrats! Yeah, thanks, yeah, man. That's I'm, great. I'm happy. Yeah. Now, now I just gotta send it to the band and hope for the best. <laughs> see what they think. <laughs> I think they'll like it. All right. So um, this week we uh, we've got one. We've got a couple questions this week. Um, one we are going to save for next time or the next time that we have our friend Chris um, Brunhaver back on. He was with us uh, two weeks ago uh, for Speaker, Speaker, Speakers, and he will be back for Speaker, 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 Speakers. <laughs> He's a speaker designer and, and uh, just a, a library of information when it comes to speakers. And so... Um, so this second question from uh, from Stefan in uh, in the Bay Area of California um, related to you know what speakers to pair with his room. Well, 
that's one of the topics we wanted to you know eventually cover with Chris is is how yeah. to how to pick the right speakers for your room. Yep. So Stefan, uh, hang tight. We'll get to that um, maybe next week. Uh, see, we'll see what Chris's schedule is. Um, we'd love to get him back in here. So um, yep. Yeah. If not next week, it'll be the week after that. We'll we'll get him. Yep. So our question. Uh, so we'll we'll just take one question today, and our question comes from Garrett Dahl. And Garrett sent us a question, uh, sent a system photo, and sent an album recommendation. And that's about as, as perfect as, as we could ask for of, of any interaction with our, I love our listeners. I mean, I love it. We get to see what he's, what he's um, listening to. It's a great looking system. Yeah, um, it's awesome. You know, look at those lights. He's got some PS Audio gear. He's got a uh, Rega um, turntable, looks like, and... Um, and it's right, right in front of the, right by the fireplace. Just looks like a really cool place to hang out. So, but, um, Garrett sends us this question. So let's just dive in and, um, you can start us off with your feelings after I, uh, after I read it. Sure. Garrett writes, hi guys, you alluded to preamps and power amps being a step above and integrated because there are fewer compromises at the price points that integrateds go for. Are there any super fi integrated amps? In other words, is there an example of an integrated with no compromises and, and which price point and consumer demand aren't a factor? I'm also intrigued by moving towards a pre and power amp from my Rega illicit. I'm, I'm, I, I've I've had an illicit before and illicit R. Those are uh, integrated, I believe. Um, I like those. Uh, one day, maybe in a few years. What are some examples of solid pre and power amp uh, pairings? I'm really intrigued by a combination for the pre and power amp um, involving deckware and PS Audio. Current system is a Spendor A7s, Rega Illicit, PS Audio P3 Power Regenerator, and PS Audio Stellar Phono Stage, along with a Rega Planar TT Source. Um, I love my current system, by the way. All right, Garrett, thanks for this question. Um, this is great because this ties into, this kind of touches a, a few things that that we've been talking about lately and that we're, you know, we're going to talk about today. love that you've got this analog, this final rig going in your enjoying it yeah um, that's awesome vpi turntable huh? oh he's got a regular planer three. Oh, okay yeah um he's got a regular planer three your phono stage and uh in a regular illicit oh, okay sorry sorry I, I was looking at a different uh a different email i think <laughs> it was yeah that's a different that's a different one that's a different one another guy uh sent us his okay. system on instagram actually and that was uh, a guy named Robert and super cool, cool looking system there. Um, but yeah, so this is Garrett. And Garrett sent us also an album recommendation. We should I should mention that because we've been just geeking out on this album. Yeah, Garrett, and we you know it's it's really cool. Um, the album is called By All Means, um, and it's by Alphonse Muzon, and it features Herbie Hancock, Freddie Hubbard, Lee Rittenauer. And sea wind, the sea wind horns. Um, it's super cool. It's it's like it's like right at the transition between funk, yep, and fusion, um, fusion, yeah, 
Yep. And it's and it's exciting. It's exciting enough that I put it on last night at my house, and my my girls just kind of wanted to dance, and and Marley like will naturally start dancing when there's something cool on the stereo that that you know needs it or or that calls out for it. Um, yeah, I play a lot of music that's that's not typical or not not necessarily pop music. I don't play pop music at my house my kid's five and i want to set her up with a good understanding of of what good music is and and she'll have plenty of time to discover taylor swift later in life she was <laughs> the other day she was like i was at somebody else's house and they put on taylor swift and i really liked it i was like not in my house yeah i've never been able to to get into that stuff no, it's that stuff. My, the way my dad put it. And by the way, this parenting style regarding music is exactly what my parents did. I wasn't allowed to listen to pop radio mm. in, in my house. Yeah. We, we didn't have any radio. We had my parents' large collection of classical music on CDs. We had their entire vinyl uh, collection, which is mostly classical, some mm-hmm you know, Johnny Cash kind of things, um, you know, some Western stuff, but mostly just classical. And uh, that's it. And Yeah, I, you know, I think there's some, there's some pop that you can respect and, and that is worth listening to and, and that maybe you, uh, for some reason, connect with. But I've never been able to get into Taylor Swift. Well, <laughs> my dad's point was that you'll have plenty of time in your life to 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 learn all about pop music which yeah. doesn't seem to change like it's yeah yeah it's just a new pretty shiny face on the same package every time it's 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 very basic music it's almost no musicianship in terms of like soloing and and kind of mm-hmm. like you know exploring yeah. scales or anything it's it's themes that are all about like heartbreak and attraction, just this one sliver of your life on the terms of the whole scope of your life. This one part where you're, you're, you, you, you want to be with girls and you, you get rejected by them or, or boys. And it's just like, okay, why all, all every song is about that little sliver of your twenties. Like how is this <laughs> applicable to everybody all the time? It's not. So he's like, you know, in, and you'll have plenty of time to check that out. But but what I appreciated about his approach was that if he had let me wa- listen to the same pop radio that my friends had been listening to, I I would never on my own go seek out all the stuff that he that I ended up exp- mm. being exposed to mm-hmm. from his library and from you know going to concerts with him. Yeah, because I would have been too seduced by this pop music and the kind of social part of it of like knowing the same songs that all my friends know. Yeah. I have to credit my father also just playing music constantly and, and it wasn't pop music. It was, uh, you know, very interesting music. He was, he was, uh, he's like one of the largest Van Morrison fans and, and then it would just branch into all kinds of stuff into, um, you know, British kind of post-punk stuff and, getting into you know some british uh electronica and stuff like that and so like that's kind of what i grew up on was was um was not not music only from the u.s but all around the world it seemed like australia he's really big into the go-betweens um 
which I believe are from, they're from Brisbane. Um, and, and then England, like new order and, um, and, uh, and the Smiths and, uh, and then Van Morrison from Ireland. And so I was like introduced to all this different styles of music all over the world. And I think that is what made me at least open to all different genres, you know, like it made me appreciate different sounds and stuff like that. So it's interesting that you and I have very similar tastes in music now, but we come from very different places. Like my dad never played any of that stuff. It was well, all, all you need to do is just be open to to new music. I think you need to appreciate good musicianship and good composition. But but you you appreciate good melody and some of the finer points of making music and the the harder things there are to do. I feel like both of us kind of appreciate the same things. And I don't know. Yeah, I grew up listening. I mean, my, the the John Rutter collection in my dad's library is is insane. You know, it's yeah. like actually John knows my my dad um, just from from uh, composing. My dad's got plenty of uh, choral pieces that are um, that are published through Oxford Press and in in different places. But anyway. Uh, we we're answering a question about we uh, need to integrated? get back to the question yeah. <laughs> tangent. So I th- I'd say initially, Garrett, is that my answer is you can put no-holds-barred components into an integrated, but by definition, the integrated is going to be something of a compromise, always. It doesn't matter how crazy you go with it. Separating chassis, you know, with allows you to put space between some of these components and lower the noise floor further. And I think that's just the focus of the separation to begin with. The Pass Labs X22 preamp, for example, has a has two power supplies, one for the left channel, one for right channel. Mark, Mark Levinson stuff has been doing that for, for years where you have two different power supplies for one preamp. You know, and, and when you're going to that extreme, you're doing it for, for Sonics. It's 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 not like the most attractive thing to have thirty boxes in your rack or whatever, um, and but and, and really, you know, stacking them is not even the best thing you can do if if you're talking about if we're doing things only for Sonics, you're separating your power supplies from your your yeah. pre's to to a degree where they don't interfere with each other at all. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's because everything every small little thing matters and you're trying to optimize the design. And if you're trying to cram it all in one chassis, um, I think that can be kind of optimized in a, in a, you know, medium price range in high end audio, which is still, you know, very expensive. But when we're talking about the upper end, which is what, when we talk about super fi and ultra fi, that's what we're talking about is the very upper end. Uh, Well, you know, I think that this is kind of akin to, you know, saying, oh, can I have a compact uh, hypercar? It's like, well, hold up a second. This, we got to fit, tw- you know, 12 cylinders. Fit a V12 with, in there. With, with, uh, with you know, four uh, um, superchargers in it. Giant and, intake. And, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it, they're, they're making these cars large, not only because they're a lot of money and, and that it should be something that has presence, but they're also doing that because, you need a huge engine in that too. <laughs> right. And yeah. so there's no compromise. It's, it's not, we're not going to make this, this light 
hypercar. We're not going to make this light, you know, integrated. That's a single compact thing at a super high price. That's just not what it's about. It's about um, high amounts of class A power. Uh, it's about uh, um, very ultra low noise in any sort of uh, contamination between digital circuitry and analog circuitry. And so whenever you get into that, you're talking, you know, separates. Um, now it doesn't matter. Customers don't care as much about buying more interconnects and buying more cables. That's not, it's not in the question. It's like, you know, I mean, you don't, you're not buying expensive stuff to worry about the expensive things that will then occur. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about performance, 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 performance at that price. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's some great integrateds. Are there great integrateds? Yes. Um, one that stands out to me is the past labs. Oh, is it INT 35? Is that what it's called? Um, gosh, just an amazing, um, amazing integrated. Um, yesterday I was listening to, I was testing a bell Canto, uh, black, uh, EX integrated and, a totally different approach than the than the past labs, but you know, equally very interesting and very very great sounding. But you know, a modern integrated needs to have digital inputs too. It also has to have a DAC. You you just don't see that's right modern integrateds without it because just yep. oh, you just I mean, yeah. it's no longer really an integrated amp if it doesn't have also the DAC section. It just I, feels that way. It I, feels that way, but. I had a couple of good integrates yesterday on the bench. So I'm Duncan, by the way. I work at the Music Room, which is the world's largest uh, online reseller of high-end audio gear. And Darren is a um, senior analog uh, design engineer at PS Audio, which is one of the world's um, you know, biggest hi-fi brands. And, uh, and in my job testing equipment, I just see so much equipment, just thousands of pieces of gear over the last you know, number of years. And, um, so yesterday I had a few integrates. One that I really loved the sound of was this, uh, or I just, I just enjoyed the experience. I think cause it was a combination of, of liking the sound, liking the way that the user interface was and liking all the features. And that's the Macintosh, uh, MA 5200. And so, you know, it's an integrated amp. Um, I don't know, uh, how many watts per se off the top of my head, but um, it, it's of of all of the Macintosh gear that you test over the uh, that I've heard over the years. Some Macintosh pieces, modern Mac pieces that are solid state, have a kind of a bigness of of character and a and a, a full bottom. You wouldn't call them warm. They're just a lot going on and a, and a lot of body at the at the bottom of the frequency spectrum and and uh, it was detailed enough to sound great and have some spatial imaging stuff, but also um, just solid and and fun to listen to and um, and this was one of those those integrateds. Um, so yeah, it's it you know you can have really great experiences with integrateds. Um, is it the end all for for Sonics? No. So yeah, and you you also don't get to you don't have as much control in the end because you can't you can't control true. the interconnects between the two. You can't 
say, oh, well, I really like the preamp section of this, and but this amplifier section is not the best for my speakers, and I need more power for my room, or there I need you go. more power right. for my... My, you know my speakers that are uh, that are you know low in sensitivity uh so that's a really good so point. you know it, it, the flexibility of being able to keep something you really like but then optimize another area of the chain is that is really where separates come in and when you're talking the big money because the question is is do they exist in the super high end and and it's just like that the you know that price range is all about performance and optimization and uh, and I just think that that's something that's very uh, uh, um, it defines that price range is to is to go to the max the amount uh, of control that you have and, to be able to dial it exactly in. Yeah. and to have and to also have power amps that that have uh, a lot of power and and a lot of uh, uh, capability as far as delivering the current that the loudspeaker wants and that requires large transformers large heat sinks. Um, and <clears throat> stuffing all that in there and then your preamp and then your digital circuitry and then all your isolation to make sure that you don't have, you don't have any sort of, uh, uh, contamination between the, the, the clocks and the DAC and your analog circuitry. It all takes way too much space to actually do it yeah. on the level that they want to do it. So. so he goes on to ask, though, about good examples of solid pre and power pairings. Um, and he says he's intrigued by a combination of pre and power uh, involving deckware and PS audio. So interesting. Um, and, you know, Garrett's been listening to us. We're, I'm, we're both fans of both companies. Um, you work for PS Audio. I used to work for PS Audio, um, and I've been reading Steve Deckert's writings about audio and and just soaking up his whole world since I first got into this as a teenager. So, um, yeah, we have some thoughts about these pairings, and and I guess we can add uh, some more and and talk mm-hmm. about you know the synergy subject. So. Does he mention how large the room is? I can't remember. No, that's uh, okay. Stefan's. Uh, yeah, that's question. right. That's the yeah, other question. That was about um, speakers. I, I uh, so yeah, I looked up the the Spender because he has a Spender A seven. Right? Yep. Is that what we're dealing yep. with? Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, it's actually uh, Spender's known for more of a the BBC tradition of loudspeakers and um, you know g- getting into some of the characteristics of uh Harbess and that kind of world um Rogers that kind of stuff and one of the characteristics is that they're generally low sensitivity but it looks like Spender has started to do to deviate from that a little bit um because I looked up the A7 and it actually does have very average sensitivity 88 so it's it's that that is um that is uh, the high side of average. Um, maybe I'd say that maybe the average is 87, but 88 is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty sensitive loudspeaker relatively. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I was going to say that you'd want, you know, that you want solid state right away on it if it was going to be 85 or 84, but at 88, 
you could you could technically do dupes, but um so we're just trying to trying to um think about okay well what do you want on what side yeah uh, you've that's heard the question you've heard people really enjoy the pairing of the deckware preamplifier uh and and ps audio amplification uh you know the yeah BHK and i i haven't heard it myself i mean i really love the the bhk uh preamp with the 250 but but i think that if you want a little bit more of perhaps a, a warmer more tuby solution uh maybe the deckware what's the model that deckware uh preamp that has the it's like a it's yeah, like an engine it looks like a v6 the, yeah. or whatever um yeah the reason um, that he does that is so that the tube pins are close to each other that was chassis, clever so he can actually like use only component leads and not use any wiring to to wire up this preamplifier yeah and i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily like uh assume that that his uh, that his preamp is going to be warm. I, I I think he pulls out more of the sparkly, um, kind of neutral. Well, I meant warmer than the BHK, maybe. Well, the pre, what the BHK pre? Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, MOSFET output stage, but it's got tubes. In I know that too. like the back of my hand. Yeah, you. I know well, like this the back true. of my hand. Yeah. The BHK is neutral, 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 neutral. Yeah. Neutral. Yeah, very neutral, very uh, going to be very just it's just important what you surround the BHK preamp with. Um and uh, what's interesting is Bascom has has designed something that doesn't use any feedback, global feedback, but measures extremely well and uses tubes. So so it's it doesn't really impose much distortion onto the signal. Um and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I would assume that something like the way that Steve Deckard would design is going to be slightly more tubey sounding than, than the BHK. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying that that's probably the way that they shake out in the end. Yeah. It's definitely not going to be more transparent than a BHK preamp though. Um, there's not much out there that is, um, so when we're when we're tackling this question, you notice that Darren went straight to the specs of the speakers, and so did I. Mm-hmm. I have them pulled up here on my computer because that's what what we're dealing with, and that's yep. that's the, another reason to to enjoy separates is that it's you make it your way. Your last point mm-hmm. about the control. So you know if you want to live in this paradigm of low wattage. Um, highly transparent, you know, lucid tube, you know, sensational stuff with either single ended or or push pole or or whatever. You you are saying that's kind of what I want to build this around, and so yep. then you get a, a, a efficient speakers. Um, then yep. the 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 choice of preamp comes down to kind of a flavor thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other way, you know, if if you if you said well, I want these speakers specifically because uh, I'm really impressed by them. And then you you notice, well, they need this kind of damping factor. They right. need this kind of power. Yep. Then you go the other way, and you and you exactly go that's, with more power, and then you. That's my favorite way of of starting the pairing. And I just want to highlight something that you said, and I love the way that you put it because you put it very correctly. Um, efficiency. Yeah, not he said, sensitivity. He said right. efficiency. efficiency, yeah, not sensitivity. And people, people get that majorly confused. 
It's true. And and um, and there's there's uh, actually just it seems to be just widespread on the internet about um, the, just misconceptions about this. People don't understand the difference between sensitivity and efficiency. And you can have a speaker that's relatively uh, above average in sensitivity, but uh, just a, a, a real demon to drive. Um, yeah. And that's just because the way that a lot of the manufacturers spec their speakers, they'll, they'll spec it so that they, um, they, they'll spec it at 2.83 volts into the speaker, then take the microphone and place it one meter away, put one kilohertz in at 2.83 volts. And then that's the sensitivity specification. Okay. Problem. Problem is, is that what if the speaker's two ohms? Right. So you're going to need to crank out a lot of amps to get well to so, so the wattage requirement of that will be will be high. Right? Yeah. So 2. Point, so instead of 1 watt for at 1 meter, it's like 5 watts at 1 meter. Yeah. And that's so the it's spec. Power equals V squared divided by uh R. Okay? So so take the the voltage two point eight three volts mm. squared divided by divided by that that um, that resistance the of the average yeah ohms, say the that of the whatever the the speaker. actual resistance is at one kilohertz okay which would be I guess you could say we could call it impedance sure well it's, um, and and yeah. so so you you take that and and the lower that that um, that that denominator is the 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 higher the power, right? Because as you were to step down, the higher it would go. The higher that the denominator gets, the lower the power. Sure. And so if it's eight ohms, it's gonna be it's gonna be like for instance, it could be one watt. But when you go down to two ohms, it, it's more like four watts. Yeah. Well, and watts is volts times amps, right? And so, you know, you think about, okay, uh, yeah, if, if it takes, if it's harder to drive, it's going to take more amps to, to, to drive this speaker. Right. So, and, uh, so anyway, if it's, if it's 91 D, if something is 91 DB sensitive and they don't give any other specification, it's just at one watt or, or at 2.83 volts. And that's kind of how a lot of this stuff is done. You would have to now start to work backwards. So, make four watts at ninety-one dB. Okay, now we have to subtract. We have to go backwards. We uh, we have to go down. So, halving of powers is three dB 3 down. DB. So now you have to go down to eighty-eight dB, and and that's going to be at two watts. Two watts. And then now you have to go down to eighty-five dB, and that's your one watt spec. That's your one watt. So, and and it, and this the spec used to be given as one watt one meter, right? Yes. One kilohertz. Yeah. And some of them are still printed like that. Yeah. That's what's crazy. I don't want to. I don't want to call names out. Yeah. Big companies out there in the speaker world are publishing these these uh, specifications. And so you have to be really, uh, 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 really cautious about that. The way to check it is you go to the stereophile review and go to John Atkinson's measurements. Look at one kilohertz. Look at what the impedance of the loudspeaker is. 
um, and then and then um, you want to look at the, the the sensitivity that he measured. Yeah, and then you can do uh, then you can do your your uh, your do V squared. So it's always going to be two point eight three volts. So then that square divided by whatever the measured impedance is at one kilohertz that John measures, that's going to be the actual, that's going to be the actual power into the, into that measured sensitivity spec. So when we're talking about efficiency, we're taking sensitivity into the equation. We're taking, we're also taking the impedance of the, of the speaker into the equation. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's just so important to know both so that you really get a, a great idea of what's what's actually happening. Here. But generally here they say impedance for the A seven is eight ohms eight. and the sensitivity is eighty eight. This is relatively yeah. easy to drive. It's a good like, it's, it's a decent load. Now we haven't seen the graph. That's right. A, a lot of uh you know, impedances uh, change over the frequency range. So yep. there might be a spike in the bottom and there might be a rising characteristic toward the end. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the average is what's given to us. So eight ohms can tell you something. Yeah, it can. It, it's, you know. Um, so, so, uh, so, you know, I mean, it, the problem with this is it's, it's uh, really going to depend on what you want. And I can just, I can just say as... Um, I can just say that I have heard about people being happy with the Deckware preamp and the BHK250. I, I, if you're interested in a pairing between the two, that is one option, obviously. Um, the other option is to spin it around and go BHK preamp, which has you know a very elaborate volume control. It's a shunt volume control that, um, that only introduces a few resistors in the signal path at any given time. Um, it, it opposed to like a, a potentiometer that can vary a lot, um, or a, a stepped attenuator that has to go through a series of, of tons of resistors. Um, this only has a few resistors in the signal path and then Bascom's amazing, clever circuitry. Um, but you could do that and then go with one of, um, Steve's, uh, push pull, um, tube amps. Yeah, good luck getting um, on the uh, on the order list. He's yeah. thanks to I think Steve Guttenberg's review that uh, his backlog for you know um, for orders is is impressive right now. And uh, we have a friend here that that put in an order and is realizing he needs to hunker down and have some patience because uh, you know um, yeah, that's one of the things I love about Deckware Audio is is the kind of handmade nature of it and Steve puts a lifetime warranty on all of his products and and uh and he lives this lifestyle that you and I kind of envy where uh you know he just he just really loves what he does. So, but um I but, I certainly respect him. Um at the same time if if you want my my final advice and you know take it take it for what it is um but I just I would prefer some power on these speakers. I just would. Yeah. Um, I've also seen uh, folks a lot on the deckware forums and in, in areas uh, love the PS Audio DAX and and kind of pair a, mm-hmm. a PS Audio DAC, which which all you know all of your DACs right now have I believe um, are also preamplifiers. So and, and then and then go the you know the the efficient speaker, um, you know, deckware amp kind of, kind of route. And, you know, deckware 
in this situation can can be substituted for any tube tube manufacturer. There's lights. There's a lot of tube uh, amp companies right now. You know, you could think Prima Luna when you're thinking about um, tubes and uh, in, in adding tubes to the system as opposed to, you know, having a more of a solid state preamp or, or more of a flat neutral preamp like you're talking about the BHK. Um, and PS Audio can be substituted for a, any number of companies that are making great um, power amps and preamps. You know, just be, I, I guess... Garrett's listening to our, you know, love for, for these companies as well as, you know, plenty of other companies and, uh, and also our own experiences, uh, with these leads us to talking more about that. But, but really, um, if there's anything I've learned at the music room, uh, touching so many pieces of gear from, you know, audio's history and then all over the world, there's so many people doing so many things at this point, you know, there's... You have to say that that Bascom's work, especially in the amp that you have too, Bascom's work is pretty outstanding for the price range. Bascom's work is like, unbelievable. It's, That's it's why we, the, we value knowing Bascom and, and, yeah. and learning from him. I mean, it, and, the, uh, this, the yeah. BHK250 is one hell of... So it's called BHK. If you're not I mean, familiar, Bascom H. King, he's got a long history of design in this industry for, with Conrad Johnson, Infinity mm-hmm. and Genesis and, um, and, and PS Audio. And, and he's got a lot of other projects. Constellation. I mean, that's the amp that I have at home is, is the one he did there. And, and, uh, um, that one's a, that's awesome. A little bit higher amp. price range, but amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty ultrified. Um, it's a beast, but, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, in, in the end of the day, one thing that I also want to note with this, obviously we're not going to be able to tell you what to do. We're just offering all these different ideas and all these different paths here. But, yeah. but one thing I think is really important to think about, and you really need to think about this, is, is that t- tube amps sometimes can be a bit scary just like leaving them alone. Like, for instance, what about, I, I play my music sometimes when I'm, when I'm not even home. You know, and, and it's like, do, do I want to have, you know, I just want to turn on the amp some days and I never want to mess with the system again. I'm messing with my phone. I'm messing with Rune and, and I don't want to have to babysit the system. And with big tube amps, you just, you just kind of have that a little bit more of an issue with that. Also, they're pulling insane amounts of power. That is what scares me about these audio research D115s that you and I have modded. Yeah. Is is that it's got this tube cage and then the tubes are set in the back of the amp. So really like you could have it on and and uh, something start red plating in there and you would just kind of not find out for a long time. Yeah. Like I think the the biggest worry also me. though is just generally the the power consumption the heat in your house because it will heat your house like it will heat your room it will change the temperature of the room and then the the other thing is that the uh the tube life of the power tubes so like if you leave it on if if you're a listener who you know you work from home and you have your stereo system on like like i do uh in the background all day having just a tube power amp well you're putting on you know like eight to ten hours a day on the power tubes and that can be very challenging especially keeping them at temperature you know and it's quite the opposite actually you know solid state likes to be on all the time it's actually proven most that, definitely that if you don't have as much 
temperature variation with solid state that it's actually better for it. Tubes, not true at all. It's the opposite. The more you run a tube amp, the 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 sooner you're going to have to replace the output tubes. Yeah. It's just that's just physics, and um, so that's something that's keep in mind is that you know you always kind of feel like there's like this countdown on okay when am I going to have to replace my tubes and also the you know the maintenance and then the babysitting kind of feel of that you have this you know really hot glass tube with tons of voltage on it sitting there and things sometimes go bad with them you know sometimes you'll get red plates and they smoke out resistors and they you know it it happens i mean they're not people don't buy tubes because they say that i want something ultra reliable yeah (laughs) that's not the except the maintenance (laughs) so i don't want to you know tank tube amps because i love them but but it's just something to remember tube pre's are totally different exactly Um, no we're not saying keep them on all the time yeah but with the the low amount of heat coming out and the low kind of stress on these tubes some input tubes on on good preamp designs can last forever uh a long a long time a long long time a long time pretty much forever i mean the the really nice um really nice uh uh, uh, military tubes especially like russian ev series of tubes uh get uh uh 10 to 15,000 hour, hours on them. So very, very long. Yep. Now, power tubes, not so much at all. I mean, if you're running, if you have a, if you have a push-pull amplifier and, and you know, they're, they're getting some wattage out of, those, out of those tubes, you know, expect every few years you're going to have to replace those tubes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, yeah. So, so, Garrett, just to wrap up here, I guess, uh, yeah, if you're... If you if you really like your spendors, um, think about what they want and uh, and go from there. Good looking um, speaker, I like it. It is nice looking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's elegant and simple. So, um, getting into today's subject uh, topic matter here, um, you know, it struck me recently that uh, when we were doing a, another vinyl night at your house. Um, that there is just something uh, remarkable about a vinyl rig when it's set up correctly, and when focus is is um, is really, you know, paid to the the very important um, steps of setup and the important steps of finding great vinyl, um, learning about you know the the pressing houses that do it the best, learning about. Um, vinyl remasters that that are really approaching things well with original master tapes and um, that when you get there and you have so when I come over to your house you've already gotten you've already done all this work your tables are set up you've got an an amazing exquisite collection of, of vinyl and you'll say oh this is from this presser and this is from this house and these guys do a really good job of pressing you know, this is one of these, you know, acoustic sounds, Chad Kessum kind of deals and that, yeah. you know, he's, is or, or this was a first run uh, pressing or, or like this is a test pressing and like this is this weight, you know. And so you've got all of this and you'll just put something on and I'm blown away. And it's does, it, it actually does have dimensions and detail and uh, that you don't have with vinyl the the sound stage is huge you, you don't, that you don't have with digital uh, digital thank yeah. you 
uh, the 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 imaging. You know, you'll put on something and and the accompaniment will start up and and you'll say, okay, that sounds about what I expect with digital. And then someone's voice comes yeah. out and they're just like slams you in the face and you're just like, whoa. That sounds like we're in the studio and I'm inches from the microphone and this person is belting yep. their, their, their song right at me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's final. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a heavily discussed topic and also a heavily debated topic on, on the internet. Um, and w- one thing that's interesting is that you, you have these discussions and you have a lot of people that are perhaps they don't have a great analog rig at home and they're they're you know they're reading the all these comments from people dissing analog and dissing it for maybe their previous experiences like a common statement is uh, I dropped it in 1993 and have never missed it yeah um that's a common statement um it's like you know i was when the cd came along is when i really started listening to music because it actually started sounding good and and it was convenient and i didn't have to you know have a whole wall dedicated to music and blah blah, blah. but the the problem the the problem with that is that the general the the level of the setups are not necessarily equivalent like today the analog technology uh, cartridges turntables um the understanding of how to care for for vinyl and then also the quality of vinyl that's being released right now in in a specifically acoustic sounds and music direct which is um mobile fidelity uh, amazing amazing stuff uh that's being cut right now and they've really relearned how to press the vinyl record and then applying new technology like one step we've seen one step come out and all those one step records from mobile fidelity or absolute um there there are some this is some of the best media that you can get your hands on and certainly the best versions of those albums that you can find um so so there are many different aspects. People want to come to the conclusions that noise, vinyl's noisy and, and it's lacking in dynamics and because of its low dynamic range and, uh, and it's just a hassle to live with. And then on the other side, the analog fanatics say that digital is, is uh, harsh and a little dark sounding, lacking in detail um, some of them say it's bright, so it's just all over the place. You know, they don't really, and, and I think really the, the way to, to approach this subject is to not be, you know, too dogmatic about it and, and just know that there are advantages on both sides. And a lot of times, and this is kind of wrapping it up pretty quickly here. A lot of times it really boils down to the media that you're given, the recording itself. And there, and the truth is, is that there are amazing, there there are amazing recordings on digital, and there's amazing recordings on analog. And the reason why those recordings aren't the same on on the analog version versus the digital version is that it's a different master, it's been treated differently, and so for older stuff that was recorded directly to tape. Um, it might have been transferred with 
crummy ADCs, 12-bit ADCs in the 1980s, and then filtered because you could not have hiss on the compact disc. So if Sony heard hiss, uh, and, and all of the source was, was tape back then. So they were taking tape, analog, all the negatives of tape or, or of analog, and then transferring it into digital and adding all the negatives of digital, especially back then there was tons of negatives of digital. And, and, uh, and then what you're left with is a, a, a copy that doesn't sound as good as the original master tape. And then Sony basically applies all this filtering to it to get out the hiss because they're like, digital doesn't hiss, so take that out. And so right. they just ruin all this amazing, all these amazing transfers. Well, so your point and, is that is that look at the source. What 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 was this recording made for? Yeah. If it, if it was analog always, and it was it was master tape to vinyl, you know, then then you have a stand a great chance of getting a good um a good, great record. You know, if it's yeah. pressed well. Now, if it, I've heard albums that are that begin digital live digital and then the uh the vinyl is an afterthought the digital files are kicked to to vinyl and they press it and it's and it's not super impressive it's not like doesn't stand out to you as like this is the the one you want is you want the vinyl on this um i've um, i've i've had yeah i've had mixed results with with vinyl that's obviously from digital source files. Like I've had some some stuff and a, a lot more than I thought I would, but some stuff sounding better than than the st- when I stream it. And then there are like there are records that are just like mm, like you know the 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 digital sounds so much better and obviously there was something that was cooked in between when they took that digital file and 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 put it to the record. Now, what's important is what what's important to take from that is why does why do some records sound better than the actual streamed digital file even though it was originated in digital and that's a really interesting conversation yeah but it's an interesting point an interesting idea to just bring up that that there are some and and i would say more than some would be a good way of putting it but but uh, but on the on the flip side, I, I also have records like of modern you know artists and stuff like that that I've been just like really disappointed in that you know yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like I chopped down to like oh I supported the artist and that's cool yeah but some of the newer newer stuff some of it has just been really cooked compared to you know streaming it on the DAC well yeah um, well well let's let's dig into at least one of these points um, yeah so so. Uh, the, the one of the main reasons is that there's any difference between streaming and vinyl uh, on a on a piece of music that was recorded digitally is that there is another step between the just the digital files and vinyl like you you know digital for for streaming consumption and for radio consumption and that kind of thing uh carries characteristic of having a, 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 a as low a dynamic range as the artist like feels comfortable with, I think, or the label or well, the, the label engineer. more so. Yeah. Now the dynamic range for vinyl is built on a physical necessity of, of needing to keep the needle in the groove yeah. and not raise the RMS, um, you, you know, the, the average loudness of that 
of that record to the point where the groove act, the needle actually sits higher in the groove and has a potential of jumping out on some kind of big transient. Right. And the distortion on that recording would be through the roof. Yes. Like, cause the, the upper end, it's not, see digital, you can operate digital to 99% and then, and then it's perfect at that last 99%. And then when, and then when you clips. clip, yeah. it's hard clipping and it's, you don't want to go there. But with, with analog, you're dealing with a, a gradual, the higher the amplitude, the higher the distortion. Yeah. So, so if you can keep the recording, the RMS down, you also reduce the distortion on the vinyl record as well. So, yeah. so it, everything about the vinyl record, uh, as well as the fact that vinyl records are being produced to uh, it, for audiophiles a lot of times. It's, it's seen as mm. this... This, you know, this is when you sit down at your home, obviously, you're not in your car or on your phone. You're sitting down in front of your system and you're listening. So, so when they master that record, they're thinking also about that market. Low noise not, floor. Uh, Qu- quite, well, high, high dynamic range. Well, but right, and, and, and the, those go hand in hand. Yeah. L- low dynamic range, making the average loudness close to the peak loudness has to do with the expectation that someone's fitting this into their life in a place where there's a, a higher noise floor. Because you need intelligibility, you need to be able to understand the lyrics, you need to be able to hear the music in the, in the quiet moments, yeah. despite whatever's going on. Like, being in a car, it's it's an insanely high noise floor compared yeah, to a listening room where you're at home and you you know you turn other noise sources off and you're listening to your music. It's a very different environment. So, yeah. So yeah. um so because we're we're trying to speed through this a little bit, I'm just gonna hit you with. Uh, I wanted to. Oh, I really wanted to drill in uh, to to dig in really quickly on something you said a few minutes ago, okay. which was that some people say about digital that it can be bright, and some people say about digital that it can be not detailed and dark. Yes, and I thought that was fascinating because. To me, and I think you're absolutely right, to me, bad digital can sound bright. And at the best of digital and the best of vinyl, comparing the two, and and again, this is with the caveat that, well, you have to look at the recording. Was it done for analog or was it done for digital? If digital was was everything done possible so so that it gets up to potentially, you know, what it could be on vinyl, um, you, you know, but, but all things kind of, kind of close, like everybody along the steps of the production line, paying close attention to quality, the best digital and the best vinyl vinyl does win for, for detail vinyl, vinyl wins for imaging vinyl wins for, for dynamic impact. So, so, you know, that would characterize digital as dark in comparison now if if all you're listening to is that digital it's the best digital so it's it's great i mean it's you would never think of it as dark so that i think i wanted you to talk a little bit more about your feelings about or like your yeah. thoughts about that well i think it's also you know a, a lot that matters as well as the the uh, playback system the analog components in the playback system um so for instance what we've found um, and and what I've found throughout my career uh, when designing uh, DACs is that um, 
generally a lot of the chips um, that are out there when you just just comparing staying inside the the IC world of of this IC DAC versus that IC DAC. So let's just take IC inter- integrated, integrated circuit, circuit DAC. Yeah. So let, let's just take FPGA related DACs like the um, uh, like the direct stream or the, out, or out the, of it because it's just such a different yeah and then the cord because they're just a, such a different animal in the way that they operate in almost all 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 the ways sure um but but just when I've I've designed uh DACs based off of these chips is what I found is that um, despite the quality of the chip which which does matter to some some degree the analog circuitry that follows that DAC is is even more important to the sound. Yeah, you said how, that. And how me. all that is done, and then the power supply feeding the DACs. We we see this with upgrading the server power supplies, the mini DSP power supplies, the the uh, power supplies going to separate DACs. Just how sensitive digital uh, sources are to uh, power supply quality, and um, and so what I, what I think is that with analog. One component, when we if we just want to talk about our playback hardware and systems, is that generally phono stages are created by people who really understand analog design, mm. and and I, I hate to you know to make those kind of broad conclusions. And in contrast, digital but but it's, components are made by people who understand the digital world and are not necessarily the the experts on analog. Yeah, sometimes, you know, and, and maybe some of the best stacks out there are people who are implementing the output stages uh, better than 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 others. But but the the output th- that's stage what being I, analog. Yeah. Well, what you're talking about is it comes down to analog chops, no matter if you're doing analog or if you're doing digital and the analog guys that are purely focused on a on a circuit that reintroduces the 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 recurve and the the bass into a, a record and brings up the you know amplifies by a certain amount to bring it up to line level that's all in the analog domain so they're yeah. they're just focused on on doing the best analog yeah it, yeah you've mentioned that and and um and that makes 100% perfect sense yeah that, and it's how you treat it after the after you extract the digital yeah, and I, I just want to clarify, it's it's not that I'm saying they have no clue what they're doing. It's just that they... I don't think it, it came it, off that way. It, yeah, it, well, it's. I just want to make that clear. I'm not no, saying that, yeah. that peop, DAC designers don't know what they're doing in the analog world. I'm just saying that they're not necessarily experts. Yeah. They're experts in digital circuitry, in routing clocks correctly, where the analog guys maybe aren't as good. But we all have our specifications and and Your specialties. A, a, yeah, you do have specifications. So oh, oh specifications. <laughs> specialties. <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. Sorry. Um, so uh, uh, and and you know we uh, uh, to 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 optimize things and to find the right analog circuits that really give that um, you know the the top end. Uh, a performance out of your system. I just think a lot of a lot of engineers who are who are doing phono stages are you have to be very um, well versed in that area. So yeah. so you're not dealing with some of the issues of the some of the challenges that a DAC output stage offers or or, or presents because. Because you're when you're designing an analog circuit for the output of a DAC, 
you have to design that circuit so that it's it can withstand being hit by a lot of RF. And amplifiers act very strangely when they're presented with RF. And and I don't want to get into the technical stuff there because that's going down a rabbit hole. But the the subjective issues when you hit amps with RF are really interesting. They they yeah. start to act really funky. And so DACs also present all these variables as well. A lot of people think that digital is plug and play. That's almost like a, a, a little phrase that has been used for for digital, especially at the beginning. It was like, oh, I hook the CD player up and, and put a CD and hit play. Today, we have so many variables we've opened up to 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 now the standard being a streamer, a separate DAC, and 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 all these different modifications you can do. What a uh, what's US, the what's, USB extender or, a, or an optical to USB or USB to SPDIF? The connection. What's the, the connection? Only. What's the yeah. the cable that reclocking has that uh, master clocks? Yeah, you know, and so uh, yeah. I just I guess the point to take from this is that is that you know analog gets this oh it's so finicky and there's all these variables and now that i'm neck deep into digital i just see it almost as as difficult yeah um it, it, because once you get a really really revealing digital setup you start realizing all how how sensitive it is to all these little things and it can be to the point of of what's wrong with the music right now? Like it doesn't even sound right. And then you realize that you don't have the right power cable on that you're used to or something like that on the DAC. You change that. Ah, it's back, you know? Right. So it's very sensitive too. Um, so, so you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a complex subject. My answer, of course, to it is always that I, I can't live without either one. I love streaming, the accessibility, the sound quality of digital is is awesome it's not crappy um but then you put on a really nice pressing and you sit back and something happens that doesn't happen with my DAC and and uh the speakers disappear in in a way that not to say that they're they're imaging necessarily better in digital but something some cohesive thing happens where there's a transition from from this great hi-fi system that I hear when I have my digital on to, to that there is now this performance. And I start getting emotional about the music. I start feeling about, I start listening to the words more. And I start listening to the way that those words are being sung. And, and it starts just like getting to my heart. And I don't know what that is. I'm still mm. on the journey. I'm sort of trying to search why analog like really great analog pressings get you that way hmm. um and why they sound different from outside of the room you can almost spot a really nice analog pressing from outside of the room from a different it room. sounds more like live music from outside of it and that could be the dynamic range um which which again that's a measurable thing uh there's a database um before we wrap this up i just want to point out because i think we probably deserve another probably another podcast on this topic um, I think we'll talk. But, we'll do another one just about music production because that yeah that was one of the, big you know big uh, big things in this yeah um, so uh, there is a website you can if you go into Google and you type in uh, dynamic range database um, look look that up and then the first hit is going to be this um, it's a dr dot loudness dash war dot info 
<laughs> and so uh, it's a dynamic range d- database. Um, they're measuring the dynamic range of, of music, and the database is quite expansive. Um, it, it's roughly right now about 152,000 albums in the database. Um, and go to the, the dynamic range selector and um, do like in, or, or select it so that's in descending order so that you're, you're going from um, the, the top to the bottom the highest dynamic range to the lowest dynamic range. And then look on the source column and you'll notice that, that the majority, overwhelming majority is, is on vinyl. So I just want to point out that vinyl is not a superior format than digital. It's just, it's just not. I mean, it's, uh, from a technical perspective, uh, especially our high-res sources, it's beyond what we need for musical reproduction. Um, it's all down into the details that we kind of got into about optimizing the setups, about optimizing your digital rig. But then it all bo- it all boils down to your har- the the medium that you're bringing in. You're buying the piece of music or you're streaming that piece of music, and what does that recording have to offer? Because that's in the end, that's what matters. And the the fact is is that generally vinyl is being mastered with a higher dynamic range, and that's a fact, a measurable fact. And yeah, it's not even generally; it's it's by nature of of the needs of it. Um, yeah, but also as as you've pointed out, it's due to the expectations of the listener, yeah, of being in an environment where where more attention is paid and less less noise is is needs to be overcome in the background. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the dynamic range database is interesting. The loudness wars are are fascinating. I do want to uh, talk more about that at length. That was was not kind of the the. Um, there's so much to be said about the loudness wars and what's been going on with recording in the last yeah. thirty years. Um, the dynamic range loudness wars began in the fifties, actually, with jukeboxes when when owners noticed that people chose songs that were recorded louder um they actually like a human it's a human bias that we have um where we enjoy uh something that's louder a little bit more so there's a lot to get into on that subject but i wanted to just kind of approach this little sliver of the universe where um the 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 magic of vinyl and and trying to quantify like what what that is what elements those are and and um, hopefully we've done that a little bit. Uh, Darren's pointed out, you know, just the 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 intensity of some of these analog stages and the way that they're designed for vinyl. The the intensity paid or the the focus paid on on um, uh, getting preparing the medium for for you know vinyl f- preparing the music to be to be placed on this vinyl medium, and then. Um, yeah, you go to this dynamic dynamic range database, and you just notice that it really is true that like vinyl, by and large, is just like showing up huge on the the biggest dynamic range. So it, it all makes sense that it's not just we're not just talking about oh wax versus silicon. You know, it's not. Yeah. It, that's not what it is. It's it's a whole host of things. Just it like is. everything else that we talk about here, it's the system. Yeah. It, it kind of yep. depends on interactions within the system and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and then that a lot has to do with what's happening in the recording studio, which is something a lot of audiophiles don't think about. 
And with vin- the answer to why some vinyl records just sound so good is does lie in what's going on in the in in the recording studio or the mastering studio and and how they're prepping that music and what you're actually playing back. And you can have the best DAC in the world, but if if the dynamic range is just cooked and it's not it's not a good source, then the better the DAC gets, the worse it sounds. Um but with uh but if you put on an awesome pressing that's just has an awesome dynamic range to it um and it's just been carefully mastered in a way that's meant to be played back on the systems that we have then boom it's magic and and that is one of the biggest things with with analog the 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 one la- I want to make one last point about um digital and and, and verse verse analog here because this has all been quick but but I think this is another really big point is that is that analog suffers from different problems than digital. Hmm. Digital has innately some things about it that are just correct from the get-go. Like, for instance, you can go on Amazon, you can spend 50 to to $100 on a DAC, um, and you can beat some of the performance of a three, uh, three or four hundred dollar turntable yeah, easily. Right. It has better bass. It has better sound staging. It's better separation. separation. Yeah. Uh, everything about it is just going to blow that three or four hundred dollar turntable out of the water. Yeah. The the three to four hundred dollar turntable sounds like mid fi compared to a you know an average uh, 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 DAC that's been implemented quite well. Um, so so vinyl has innate mechanical problems that you need to overcome and once you overcome those innate uh, uh, mechanical problems you start to solve those problems and you start to actually hear and get it get some of the digital um, uh, strengths with the analog strengths and I think that's one of the biggest problems of today when people are just they just don't get vinyl it's that unfortunately it is a big investment to get into yeah. when when you're want when you are expecting everything that new DACs have to offer. You want to look at this realistically. A cartridge is just like a speaker. It's yep. the movement mechanism where actual mechanical design comes into play and is trying to be as linear as possible, meaning it's trying to have little mechanical influence on anything as possible. Yeah. You know, when you when you think about what has the possibility in a normal stereo system of the most distortion it's the speakers and where they're placed in the room right and what has what's what's the hardest thing to pull off in this whole vinyl system it's the it's the actual groove these tiny tiny little movements that need to be perfectly replicated transients need to be shown perfectly and this this thing needs to do a herculean feat yes this this little needle so it's a precision component it starts there but then a great cartridge needs the support and the balance of a perfect of a great tone arm right so then you go to the next element and that needs to be dialed in then the signal needs is is so small by you know (laughs) because it has to be yes that then then the next piece Chain in the piece in the chain uh, has a Herculean task of yep. amplifying this thing a million times or whatever it is. Yep. A factor of what know, I what I vote the the one of the most difficult analog components to design is, is a phono stage phono preamp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so you do you do start to understand that that it's it's just by definition it's you're doing very difficult things. You're doing music the hard way. You are. You know. Yeah. Compared to digital and where it's at right now so yeah 
Um, yeah, it needs to be really done seriously where you mm-hmm. study how to set these things up. These, these kind of plug and play turntables that you can get. There's, I know of several that are, that are very good. Um, that are pretty good that, that you can pay a lot of money for in there. They're, they they don't have a lot of adjustment to them. I'm thinking of yep. like um, some of the Clear Audio stuff, some of the t- the the ones that that Clear Audio makes for like uh, you know uh, Marantz, the Marantz TT five one, I think it was. And the, Riga is known for the more closer to plug and play analog. That Riga, um, yeah. There's uh, oh, sh- I, I love Pro, the Shinola Pro, Pro, Project has some stuff. Um, have you ever seen the Shinola turntables? They're a watchmaker. I, I, I have not. It's called a Runwell, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful that. turntable that's that's got just a solid plinth. It's got a really nice platter. It's got this um, like cork or leather slip mat. It's got yeah. uh, a weight. It's got a nice quiet motor, um, mm. but it's also got a built-in phono pre, and it's just like kind of plug and play there's no adjustments no okay. vta there's no there's no anti-skate there might be an anti-skating knob but i have not heard of that and it sounds pretty good no, it's it a belt drive good. but yeah. it's it's just like you're you're never going to get to to the highest level it's almost like our integrated versus separates argument is like yeah the reality of trying to do these things as well as possible mm-hmm. requires you to kind of be separating things out get a phono pre that's that's really uh, maximize for your cartridge for the gain needed and 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 a phono pre that that doesn't constrain the image of things but can separate and and make this you know show show what the cartridge is doing in the best light yep um so my yeah like so the table of course really matters and just to sum this up here if, if anybody is interested, if we've maybe changed your mind and, and opened your mind in, in thinking, hey, maybe I need to give vinyl another shot. Maybe I have a, a record collection in the basement that I need to take out. Maybe I want to buy a, a turntable, but I, I'm not trying to spend too much. I, I think that entry level in high-end audio where you start getting a lot of the nice stuff occurring um, is, is going to be in the uh, like Riga uh, P3 uh, to uh, or a P6 uh, is, a, is a nice table to start out with that's going to offer a lot of the advantages that we're talking about and, and a lot of the strengths of digital, but also bring in some of those analog ca- characteristics and showing off how, how, uh, how good some of these recordings are. Um, or, uh, and this is an oldie but, but goodie, is, uh, is the uh, SL1200. Yeah, the techniques. Um, I've always been... I've always been, uh, uh, you know, uh, very impressed when I've heard that table. There's and, some good um, options for people. I, I think there's the the VPI has a few products that oh yeah that allow you to kind of touch the little bit getting the a little bit higher in there. Yeah. But yeah, that would be the next step after you know because the the Riga stuff is like yeah P, P3 is what going to be like eleven hundred, twelve hundred, or something like that. And then if you want to double that, you want to get into two thousand. Then I would say now you're in the VPI space, and yeah. you can you can pursue. Um, uh, I haven't been catching up with their recent lines, but the the Scout. If you want to buy a used table, the the uh, original Scout is one hell of a deck. Yeah, that's an awesome. Well, there's um, I think Upscale Audio does the Super Prime Scout, so it was a, a collaboration between them and uh, and VPI, where they just they take some of the better things, like the the better feet, and they upgrade the platter, and they upgrade mm-hmm. this, and so there's there's all kinds of, of ways to move up. But yeah, I think 
just to sum up, you know, this isn't an easy thing that's being pulled off and and it can't be the magic of vinyl cannot be heard, you know, unless you're willing to be serious about this and try to, you know, in, invest invest in it. Um, and invest in time and setup. Like so that the first time you you drop that that tone arm on the on on a record to realize that it may not sound great, that there's a lot of adjustments and and I look forward to future podcasts on uh on you know talking a lot about you know turntable setup and uh and getting more more into this so this is a really broad topic and we're going to expand more on this and of course you know my stance has always been this way is that i i have to have a dac i have to have a turntable i can't live without without those um and uh and they 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 you know they occupy a very important space in in my musical enjoyment in my systems. And so, um, and so, you know, we, we try to deliver a, uh, uh, we're trying to give you, you know, kind of an unbiased, uh, 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 view on, on some of the advantages of, of either format. And, and, uh, we look forward to talking about, you know, how to optimize, uh, your digital rig as well as your analog rig. So, all right. Well, that was the magic of vinyl. Um, Let's move on to our album recommendation of the week. Um, very excited about this one. One of the ways that I find new music lately is uh, on Fridays, I'll go to look at new releases. And not all music is released on Friday, but most of it is. Um, so what I do is I'll, I'll filter it out by genre. Um, generally, I'm checking out the new releases for jazz um, sometimes, you know, electronic and world music and some other genres, but, uh, but I always go through the jazz stuff. And what's interesting about the jazz stuff is even if you like jazz, which I love jazz, um, you know, some of the stuff that comes out can just be very weird or very unlistenable, like very difficult to listen to. Um, and so like, like I put on this thing that was, like a trumpeter and uh, some spoken word and the spoken word portion was just insane. Like it was, it well, was I, these... I want to know who that is. Yeah. I, I'll have to, pull, I'll, I'll have to pull it out. I don't have it pulled up right now. I'll, oh yeah. I'll don't, don't, it's, don't worry. It's, it's I, I crazy. just, uh, spoken word is actually a really interesting genre. Yeah. It, it, it can be very cool. It can also yeah. be insane. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, I'm sure this guy named Alabaster de Plume, who's a different guy, a saxophone player. And he has, um, he he came out with this instrumental I think last year that I really love that I I hope to one time make uh, an, a recommended album on here but um, it's it's instrumental uh, sax it's it's mostly just uh, saxophone with some very minimal accompaniment and it's cool and so I'm I'm intrigued I'm adding that to my library I'm I'm going to the rest of his music and I pull up this this album. And there's and he's got these interesting track names, so I see one that says "Eating My Heart," so I click on it, and I'm expecting saxophone, and all it is is spoken word, where it's this macabre like poem where he's like, "I've eaten my heart," and he talks about like, "I have this bloody hole in my chest" and stuff like, <laughs> like it's literal and it's weird. It's and I'm just, what am I listening to? So the other day, anyway, tangent again. Uh, the other day I was checking out the new releases and I did, I came across one just like that. I'm like, Oh brother. And so I'm, I'm clicking through these different releases and I come across this one 
And it stands out in such stark difference to to all of the other jazz uh, releases uh, that I'm I'm just instantly drawn in, instantly intrigued. And then I I just I find that I look up and I've listened to the whole album, and I want to listen to it again. And I send it right to you. And um, and when you got a chance to listen to it, you just started texting me like, oh, my God, this mm. thing is incredible. Yeah, I shot it over to my my buddy I, who I knew would appreciate it. And he just uh, he usually is is a guy who, um, you know, he'll give me feedback and it'll be more uh, like, wait till I talk to you on the phone. And it's like, hey, man, that album is cool and start to dissect it. And instantly I get a text going, whoa. He's like, this yeah. is an album. This is an album, man. Yeah. Yeah, and so you never know what you're going to get with the, with when you just kind of go from new release to new release to new release. You know, doesn't matter who who made it. You, what, what my goal is to, is to learn about great musicians from finding good music. So, for example, I, I found this album, and then I it's it features two people, two instrumentalists. And I, I just started going down the rabbit holes of... Uh, it's it's bass, it's upright bass, and it's harp, and and the harpist's name is Brandy Younger, and I started checking out Brandy Younger's different bands, the the people that she plays with. She plays with Ravi Coltrane, John and Alice's uh, son, Ravi, who plays uh, saxophone. Um, you know, then I then I go uh, to the bass player. His name is Desron Douglas, and he plays bass with. Um, Cyrus Chestnut, who is an amazing jazz uh, pianist that I love. I have several of his albums in my library. I didn't even know that Desron plays bass for Cyrus. Mm. Then I find, you know, this other guy named, was it Steve Jones? I'm going to have to bring that up. Um, that Desron played bass with. That That's another rabbit hole where I'm just like, oh, I, uh, oh Steve yeah, Davis. S- Steve Davis, you sent me that. That, yeah. was, that was a great album. Ripper too. album. Yeah. Um, so amazing. anyway. You know, this is how one of the ways that I discovered music. Another way is recommendation from Darren, from other friends, that kind of thing. But sometimes you just have to put put in your time and just like yeah. let it wash over you. If you hate it, skip to the next, give yeah. it a track or two, and then move on from the album. You know, like, um, but but once you find something that's really remarkable, d- dive into that. Find out yeah. who's, who's playing, who does the things that God. you're liking about it, and then yeah. find their one own. of the beauties of digital. So the name time. of this <laughs> album, finally getting to that, it's called Force Majeure, and I it's going to be a terrible French pronunciation, which for which I apologize. But that's um, what I'm reading is is it's named after a clause that's in a lot of uh, recording contracts. Um, or or performance contracts where the whole contract can be voided uh, for an act of God. That's force majeure is act really? of God. Yeah, it's an act of God clause. Means that you know, like if if there's some kind of hurricane that wipes out the performance center, like they don't have to pay the musicians that were scheduled to play there that night. Wow! And it's in reference to COVID, to the coronavirus. Uh, hmm. killing the the nature of of um you know live performance and and cutting off at the knees the income source for so many musicians wow and um so what this was was basically these were brandy and and desron who who met at at music school by the way they're it was they're like covid sessions where they were 
they were going on like Zoom or or on Instagram Live. They were doing a live stream over the summer, and they played lots and lots of hours. But they'd like be t- tune in at this time, to, you know, to see us play. I can think of a handful of musicians that I see when I go on Instagram and I'll say, this musician is starting a live video. And I know, right as rain, they're doing another live stream. And they're asking for donations. They've got a Venmo account or they've got something going on, but they're they're doing what they want to do is what, what they are good at, which is playing live music. And you can tune in. You can... Yeah. I've seen bands that set up this thing where you buy a season pass, like Switchfoot, the band Switchfoot. You buy a season pass to their live stream and you get access to all their live streams and they just regularly get together and play music so what what desron and brandy did was after a whole summer of doing this they they compiled some of their greatest takes their favorite takes and printed them on a on an album and here we're firing this up just it's just upright bass and it's harp playing jazz yeah and it's and it's what's so great about it is that you're you're transported there because it's so loose and you hear them talking. Yeah. I love the talk, you know, they'll be like, let's switch to minor key or, or, or something happens to his bass and she's like, Oh, are you okay? Yeah. It's completely unedited. Totally. I love it. Off the cuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, well, one thing that the, um, the feeling that I get from this album is like, if you're in like a downtown center, uh, of a city and you hear that rush and and that rush of the traffic the rush of the people the rush of the uh, of just uh, that busy uh never sleep attitude of a big city and you stay in that big city for you know weeks and you just get used to that low level you know noise and then you go out and and hike uh you know like the mountains and you're on a trail and there's just not one sound and you can hear the the the, the trees kind of you know, um, the, the wind through the trees and the distance and, and you just take that big, deep breath and you go, <sighs> yeah, like for some reason, this album has that effect on me. Like mm. if I put it on in the morning, especially like that first song, like coffee, where he just talks yeah. about, you know, what is good coffee, coffee. Yeah. And it's just as something about it just makes me, you know, go, <sighs> interesting. I'd say my favorite track is the uh, the last track, um, which is what is it? Is it a Miles Davis or a Coltrane uh, tune? Um, anyway, it's what what we are obviously like responding to with this album is is the authenticity. It's just two people that are doing these kind of video sessions that are not dictated. Nothing's dictated by a producer. Um, Oh, wise one was the one I was thinking of. Um, nothing's dictated by anybody. It's just there's no there's no label over their back telling them you know cut that out, do this, um, you know uh, make this dynamic range smaller. We want this to play just yeah. as loud as the pop song next to it. Anyway, it's it's so it's an open recording. It's an honest recording. Mm. It's this it's this artist interplay that that is just exciting to witness so this uh we hope you check it out i love the way the bass is mic'd i love the you know the strings slapping on the fretboard oh yeah how, how they captured that because yeah that's really sensitive the mic placement and and just uh the overall album is yeah. just one that you just start and you just don't want to stop and and uh, it's a great one to 
wake up to and start a day yeah. to. And then after this, check out Brandy Younger, you know, some uh, some other stuff. She had an album out yep. in 2019 that's just fantastic and yeah. does, does feature Ravi Coltrane on it. Cool. Um, check out other work that, that Desron Douglas does, like this Steve Davis album called Images. Um, or I, likes, I love that album. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, That's we cool, man. we could probably two here. use that one at yeah, some yeah. point. But we, uh, you know, and, and he's on Cyrus Chestnut, uh, some of Cyrus Chestnut stuff. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed that that interesting new album. Uh, guaranteed, it's not you know a standby in anyone's audiophile library just because it's so brand new. I think it came out a couple weeks ago. But um, we've been digging it, and we think you will too. Man, you 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 uh, shot that over to me, and I just I want to say thank you, man. That yeah, one was, yeah, that's a keeper. And I want to say thank you to Brandy and Deseron because uh, keep doing what you're doing. Wow, so so great. I'm gonna I'm I'm an instant fan of both now, and and uh, yeah, glad I learned about them. Amazing. All, All right. right, well, um, this has been another another edition here and and thanks for listening thanks for sending in sending in questions i just want to um remind everybody we're taking audiophile tips as well now so if you've got a question or you've got a tip uh something that a process that you do that that uh, you found to bring um, a positive change to your system you want to share it please do so just reach out to us at hi-fi at outlook.com um if we don't uh, you know, write you back right away. That's probably just because we're both, we're both pretty busy young guys. We, uh, I got a family, we both work hard jobs and we just sort of, um, you know, we, we, we love doing this podcast. We're trying to put as much, uh, energy that we have available into, into the podcast. And if you didn't hear your question, uh, answered, you know, right away, uh, chances are it's it's mulling around in our in our minds, or mm-hmm. we're kind of looking for ways to um, to find the answer that that we yeah, or the correct you. placement in the episode too. Yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, appreciate the questions. Please keep them coming, and um, and thanks for listening and for the feedback. And yeah, with that, this has been another episode of the Hi Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I am Duncan. I'm Darren, and we will catch you next time. Bye. The Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor and is copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors.